Hello, it's Dawn, and this is my podcast, Conversations. It's a variety show about real life stuff, and there's something on here for everybody. So if that sounds good to you, let's go. Welcome to another episode of Conversations. Today we have Irina. Hi, welcome. Hi. I'm so happy to have you on. I ended up listening to, you have your own podcast. I'll let you promote all your stuff at the end, but I listened to one of your podcast episodes and it was just your story and it pulled me in. I just was listening. It is such a compelling story. So I want, I want you to go there and talk about what, what happened to you with your, your whole inspiration to help caregivers and where that stemmed from. So the story that you're referring to is my journey, how I became the life coach for the caregivers who are taking care of their aging parents uh, with cognitive impairment like dementia, different types of dementia. And it actually started with my own parents because my mom uh, had cancer and she had dementia related like to the medical things that she was going through and I was the only caregiver at the same time I was the mother of a child of a little baby and that was quite a journey and the hardest part on that journey for me was not only doing the caring activities for my mom it was the emotional storm that I was experiencing inside of me. And I didn't find, I couldn't find any help with that. I couldn't understand what was happening with me. I didn't know where to go for help. So when I was out of that, I decided that this is what I'm going to do because I would be that help. And the story with my mom and with my family that I shared was that I was born in a military family. I was born in the Soviet Union in the part in the Central Asia that was close to the nuclear test range, which was still active at that time. Oh my goodness. Yes, it was like underground testing, but so we didn't have those big clouds usually portrayed uh, with the nuclear bombs, but it was presented to the public as the earthquakes, even though that area is not geologically is not the area where you can have like the fault lines that create the earthquakes. There was also a very high rate of miscarriages because of that shake and because of the radiation that we still were getting. So, um, I actually never discussed it with anyone, but I know that I was not the first pregnancy of my mom because of that reason. My mom got thyroid cancer when I was before, before I turned one year old. And my dad, he was the Air Force pilot. He was flying a big strategic bomber with the nuclear bomb on his plane the funny thing was that one of the routes where they were flying, 
were along the west coast of the United States, in, like mm. over the Pacific. They actually developed like good friendships with the American pilots who were also patrolling the same area to the point that they were actually communicating over the radio. They were showing each other some like, you know, items. My father had a photo of an American pilot showing him the Coca-Cola bottle <laughs> from his cockpit. <laughs> Oh Which is like God. in the seventies in the Soviet Union, it's a big thing. There was no Coca Cola in the stores. <laughs> That's so, funny. When I was born, uh, I was born early in the morning, and my mom was in a military hospital. We, like there was something like a maternity ward there, and my dad stopped by on the way to his work to check if any news there. And when he came and the nurses said, like, oh, you have a daughter. Because from apparently from the moment I was born, I was, like, very much like my dad. Everyone would recognize that I'm his oh, daughter. Oh, funny. And so he was very happy, but he had a flight. <laughs> and the funny thing is that the first people who knew that I was born were not our relatives. It was the American pilots who were patrolling the West Coast. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. that is funny. Yeah, it, we had these funny moments. However, like if you look at that seriously, that my dad had very unreliable job as a parent. Sure, yeah, gone yeah. all the time, I'm sure. And my mom, when they found that she had cancer, it was very aggressive and she couldn't get treatment in that military base. Uh, she had to travel back to Ukraine where her parents were and it took a while because of the distances and I don't know what else. And when she came to the doctors, they said that we'll do our best, but we cannot promise you anything. Hmm. Basically, they said, told her that she didn't have big chances for survival. And my mom decided that she cannot really die because she has this little child that she need to take care of because if she's gone my dad can be gone too and i'm left alone which of yeah. course she didn't want that to happen so she um as she told me later she kind of set the milestones for herself that she need to survive at least until i go to school like through my childhood years mm -hmm. and then at least I will get, I don't remember, some kind of milestone in the middle of the school years. And then until I graduate from school and go to university. And then until I'm done with my education, graduate from university and get married and have children. So she was putting this milestone to herself and she was going from that. Like for her, it was not the option not to survive. Was she still getting treatment and stuff all through this time? She had treatment in the beginning, then it was fine until I was about 13 years old, mm -hmm. where they found new metastasis and she was going through the same treatment, which took like several years. And then she was monitored and to be fine. And the last time she, she got her cancer was when my son was eight weeks old. Okay. And they never really talk about her cancer, her ca having cancer. They were talking like 
well, mom has some health problems. She needs to be in the hospital. And because it was thyroid cancer and it was, she had a surgery, she had like very visible scars on her neck. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of obvious. And of course, as a child, I was asking questions and they're just, well, mom has some thyroid questions, some thyroid problems. So it was just like, mom has problems with her thyroid, but it has never been like, it's actually a life-threatening condition. Right. Nobody said cancer. No, nobody ever said cancer. It's the same way as nobody ever said your dad is flying a bomb mm -hmm. or your dad is being deployed and he could be killed in action. Those things were not discussed. It's just like, well, yeah, pop, uh, Papa is on the... Uh, like on the trip like on the mission and yeah mom has to spend some time in the hospital but when we were together we were just like celebrating that we were together right and my parents always um my my father's motto was like enjoy the day seize the moment because you never know what's going to happen next if we're going to have next moment. So when he was coming back from his missions, it was always like, I don't know, to me, it seemed to be parties. Like we would do things together. We would go to places together. We would spend time at home together, just three of us or just him and me. And it was actually cool <laughs> that he was away <laughs> and then he was coming back. Yeah, a big party every time he came home, I'm sure. Yeah, was and... He was a very hospitable person, so he would invite his friends over or we would go visit someone. It was just like, we lived it. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, where was your mom living at this time? With, like um, prior to you having your, your baby, where was she living? Uh, prior me having my baby, uh, she was living in Kiev, Ukraine. Okay. And uh, she was coming and visiting me, and I was uh, going there very often uh, to visit her. And she actually came probably like maybe a month or so before my baby was born, just to be around and help me with uh, being a new mom. Mm -hmm. And I remember that even before she came, she had a very thorough medical checkup to make sure that everything is fine because she was planning to spend several months with us here and everything seemed to be fine but then she started complaining that this hurt and then she started avoiding going for walks with the dogs which she liked to do like when my kid was eight weeks old we came to we were going into a office building and she just fell and i even could see that her femur bone is broken because it was it shifted oh and i took her to the hospital and they did whatever they could but they did the testing and they found that it was actually the metastasis and i had to take her back to ukraine for the treatment because treat uh, at the time i lived in houston texas uh treating her in houston was pretty much out of questions because she didn't have the insurance that would be covering that. Right. And paying out of pocket was pretty much not having any money left for us. Like we would not have anything to live on. And um, I was, I took her back to Ukraine and the uh, 
treatment there was actually very good and it was exactly what she needed and she was responding well to that for a while she came to visit us after one year but then uh, things went downhill and she became paralyzed she probably had the metastasis in her spine which blocked the nerve which means that she was paralyzed below her waistline and and that was it mm. that was it uh when we were going for the treatments in ukraine like i was uh, taking her to the doctors and i was trying to support her kind of like cheering her up saying things like mom we will get through so through this we you've gone through this many times we will do it again we have treatments we have doctors we have everything available to you. We will support you and stuff. And I reminded her that story, how she was saying, staying, how she was um, setting the milestones about me. Like I would grow up and go to school. I will graduate from school and go to college. I will graduate from university, get married, having children and so on. And I said like, well, now we can wait until my son will grow and he will go to school and he mm -hmm. will... Uh, graduate from school and go to college and getting married and having his own children. And she's like, no, that's your story now. No. And I could, I could even see like how her body almost like collapsed. It's kind of like lost its firmness. Mm -hmm. Her back is like her back, instead of being straight, it's kind of like, I don't know, like caved in. Just mm -hmm. She was done. She, she was not setting those milestones for herself, and that's how I become the caregiver because I had to take. I was living in California. My mom lived in Ukraine, and I was coming back back and forth uh, to take care for her. And my baby, who was still a baby, he was still breastfeeding. There was no way for me to leave him in a different country without me. Right. So I was traveling with him back and forth. And because he is not a Ukrainian citizen, he had to leave the country every three months to get that re-entry stamp. And with the political relationship of the countries around Ukraine, with the visa regulations that we had at that time, it was very problematic for me and him to go to any of the neighborhood countries. And it turned out that the easiest way was to fly from Ukraine to California, which I had to do every three months. It's, a, it's two, three flights. Like probably the best flight, the best connection was taking me exactly 24 hours door to door, meaning oh like God. I'm leaving my home, going to the airport, going through all these things mm -hmm. that you need to do to the airport flight connection another flight and from the airport getting home it would take me like exactly 24 hours with a baby with a baby oh my gosh the baby is fine actually traveling with little babies are fine as long as you are nursing them <laughs> just eat the whole time <laughs> it's just like as soon as he opens his mouth like give him the breast and he's fine <laughs> Oh my god. I mean it that's... was challenging. The probably the best challenge with the baby is because 
he was not understanding what the jet lag is. So he would be up like at three in the morning. Oh my gosh. And he would be thinking that this is a day and it's time to play. Oh, wow. Or at the night time, he would not be falling asleep. Like, it took him uh, much longer to adjust the his sleeping schedule, which for me would be, like, I don't know, like three days with no sleeping. Right. And what was your mom, how was her, she doing through all of this? Was she fighting it or was she just giving up? But for a while, she was trying to move and she was, like, trying to get up which basically she was like holding herself on the walkers with her arms. Mm -hmm. Her legs could not move. And for a while we had this hope that probably she would start walking again. And she didn't. And then I guess the things start going downwards in her brain. And she was not fighting. At some point she was very adamant to have a suicide because oh she wanted to finish it and mm -hmm. it's hard to hear for me and it's hard to say but i and i was understanding why she wanted to do that yeah because her suffering and the pain that she was going through it was insane and she would ask in me and i was just like mom what what, what can i do like there was no thing, uh, at least at that time, there was no thing like assisted suicide for the terminally ill uh, patients there. She would also ask my friends who would be coming for a visit and they would peek into her room and just say hi. And she would like, do you have anything? Like, do you have any poison? One of my friends oh. was the uh, veterinarian doctor and she would bug him like, do you have like that stuff that you put the dogs down? Can you bring that stuff for me? Which is, it's hard and it's hard. It was hard for me. Like on one side, I'm understanding why she's asking for that. But on the other side, like this is my mom. How can I wish for her to die or assist her to die? Not to mention like assisting dying is basically like a killing person. Like this is something that I couldn't step over at all. Right seeing her personality change and uh, that she became very manipulative. She was trying to, she was plot like she would not, she could not get off the bed. She could not take care of herself, but she was, she became so exquisite with planning some plots involving a lot of people who were coming into our home I don't know what she wanted at the end, but we were finding out that she was making some plot with this person, then with that person, that it would affect me or it affect my child. It was, it was insane. And for me to accept that this is the new reality of my mom uh, also was hard because physically she still looked like my mom. I mean, she lost a lot of weight. She looked very sick, but I still recognize her as my mom. Though personality-wise, it was a total stranger. And the hard part was that basically my mom is gone. The person that I know is gone, the physical body is still there. Was it dementia or was it the cancer in her brain? It's hard to say because there, dementia is a very, bright, uh, very broad term for... Mm -hmm 
the changes in the brain that are pretty much the dying or shrinking of the brain cells. So it can be medical dementia. At that point, we didn't go into the details, like is it really like dementia, dementia, or is it brain cancer, which okay. causes dementia? Because, I mean, that was not the focus of our thing, but the way how she acted, the way how... Uh, the changes that were happening in her personality, in her cognitive functions, were the same as what happens with most of the dementias. Okay. Gosh, that had to have been so hard to yeah. take care of her, and she's doesn't even seem like it's still your mom. Yeah, and I'm still having a child with me mm -hmm. who needs me as his mom, which I believe he um, he saved me. In a way, because when things things were going bad and I was losing my hope, losing my drive, I couldn't do it anymore. And then like this baby, just like, okay, I have to go through this and survive because my baby needs his mom. Right. And in a way, yeah, it was like even good, like because he was a little child, he didn't get like what was happening. And he was like a funny baby, like babies are cute and adorable. <laughs> and when you see that cute and adorable baby, it's it's very hard to resist smiling and having good emotions about that. Yeah, he gave you something to live for and see hope. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened to your mom? My mom died the day after my son turned three. Mm. And I think that she probably hold it not to die on his birthday. Wow. I don't want, I, I, I don't know. I want to believe that way. Yeah. So, so um, after she died, I, another scary thing happened to me. I didn't really feel anything. I wasn't grief-stricken, like not able to do anything and mourning and grieving and doing things which people in people normally do when someone they love dies. And later I figured out that I didn't have that reaction because I, for two, for two reasons. One is my mom actually died for me sometime before when her personality changed and I stopped recognizing her as being my mother. Sure. So I already grieved her ahead of time before she died. And also another reason for that reaction was that I was actually glad that her suffering ended. Relief. That was a big relief. It yeah. was relief for her. It was relief for me not to see a human being suffering in front of me and not being able to do anything about that. Yeah, that would be the worst part, I think, is just feeling so helpless. Yeah, because you're doing everything you can. You're trying new ideas, coming up with new ideas, trying new ideas, bringing new doctors, doing everything, and it's still not 
coming back to normal and you're helpless. Uh, so, yes, that was a relief, which I realized not everyone understood how I felt and I got a lot of judgment like, oh, your mom died and you always told us that uh, she was your best friend and she was the best mom and you had such a wonderful relationship and now you're just like so calm and so matter of fact and not even like crying over her coffin. When she died, she was cremated, like everything was taken care of. And I came back to California and I had a severe case of complex PTSD. Complex PTSD is, I mean, PTSD is, is traumatic experience, but, uh, related to traumatic experience. Complex uh, post-traumatic syndrome is uh, when the traumatic experience has been happening for a period of time. It was like repeatable thing. And I had these nightmares. I was waking up hearing how she was calling me because by the end of her life, when uh, she was like in a very bad condition and she couldn't sleep and she was pretty much living from one morphe to the next one and she would wake me i guess she was probably i don't know scared to be herself at night and she would be waking me like every 15 20 minutes she would be calling for me or knocking on the wall or calling my phone if i didn't respond right away like she would try to to wake me up and then when i come to her room and she didn't know what to tell me because she didn't have a reason why she woke me up oh wow Yes. And then like while that happening, my baby is waking up, then I'm taking my baby back to sleep. And by the time the baby is back to sleep, then my mom is up again. So <clears throat> I had for a while after her death, I had this like hearing the sounds of that night experiences. Like I would hear her voice. I would hear that banging on the wall or the sound of my phone ringing when there was like actually quiet, nobody was calling, nobody was get, uh, banging, and there was no phone in the room. And I couldn't sleep. And I had a lot of uh, blame for my mom that it was because of her. My relationship with my husband suffered a lot at that time because uh, he was staying in California and living apart doesn't work well for any kind of relationship. Right. And I was blaming my mom for all of that. So did you feel tough. like you were losing it too? I mean, to hear her voice at night or think you were hearing her voice. Did you feel like you were losing it? I don't remember if I thought of it, like I'm losing it. I was just like waking up horrified in a cold sweat and just like breathing heavily. It's just like, Oh, it was a dream. Like, okay. I would wake up and there was like this moment when you're trying to realize where you are. And especially at night when it's dark and you don't really see the room. It's mm -hmm. just like where I am. And I'm like touching things like, oh, I'm home. It's over. It's a dream. But I guess I was realizing that it was the aftermath of everything that I went through that was being released in such way through my dreams or through these disturbances. I wasn't really patient. I 
was uh, reacting to people not in the best way sometimes. Um, but so tired too. I mean, between raising a baby and then all the traveling and then um, grief stricken, I, I can't, I mean, that, that was a lot for you to handle mentally and physically. It took me about probably five years to recover. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate that I could afford that time. At that time, I didn't think of like, okay, I'm, this is my time to recover. Just like, no, this is my time to be present with my son. Mm -hmm. And I could afford to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was pretty much focused on him. We had lots of things like activities that we were doing. We were going to different places with him and I mean like doing all kinds of fun things that you do with little children <laughs> but I noticed like it's about in five years when I was just like okay now I can look forward now I can look what's going to happen next what do yes. I want to do with my life what was it that made you decide that you were going to take your experience and turn it into helping other people with the same predicament when i was going through all of that i had this thought that there should be help there should be a way of dealing that even though at that time i even didn't know such term as life coaching but then uh, it was a few of my friends who were start facing this reality that their parents are living somewhere and uh, they need to take care of them and they need to arrange that long distance care. And we're just like all of us coming to the point in our lives that our parents need us. It's just like, I'm the one who get, went through that earlier than everyone else from my generation, from my circle of friends. And I start noticing things and talking to people and just like, well, this is how it was for me. This is how, what was helpful for me. And this is how I realized, like, well, actually, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's amazing. Because like you said, you're out there looking for it. Like, is there a book? Is there a podcast? Is there something that I can look to for answers? How do I do this? What's what's the best way? And a lot of the times, it's just not out there until somebody like you puts it it's out there. It's actually not many things out there. And right. that was another thing, because uh, I think I... I was reading a book and having a conversation with someone. There was like something about this subject. And I, at some point it dawned on me that there is not actually much help for the caregiver themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, you know how it happens. Like you search for something or you do something online and then you have all these ads and content thrown to you based on what you were searching before right? right so i yeah. was probably searching for some there was some kind of caregiving thing and i start getting links and uh, suggestions about this stuff and i start looking at that what would be helpful and i found there's like lots of things like how to take care of your parent how to uh, schedule things how to keep them engaged and if you start looking for the like the care for the caregiver it's the standard list of you should eat properly, like having a balanced diet, you should exercise, you should sleep, 
And my favorite is taking a bubble bath with relaxing music and <laughs> romantic candles around the bathtub. Which, in my experience, if I had like five minutes for shower once in three days, I was lucky. Right. If someone told me at that time about that bubble bath, I would think <laughs> that they are being... <laughs> Okay. They've been very cruel <laughs> because it was a luxury that was not uh, available to me at that time. But the reason why it doesn't work, I mean, you can sit in the bubble bath if you have time, if you if it is available, but you still sit there and think all the thoughts that are in your mind that about your guilt and resentment towards your parents and frustration, like everything that you're experiencing, you're still experiencing while you're sitting in that bubble bus. Right. It's not fixing anything. It's not fixing anything. It's not helpful. You're just like soaking in your own negativity there. And there is nothing else like how a caregiver can survive and thrive through this experience. And I'm just like, hmm, this is what I can do. Yeah. What do you think is like one thing that would be beneficial to somebody that's in the position you were in to mentally stay safe? Okay. If it is just like one thing, whatever emotions and thoughts you are experiencing, you're having, even the scariest ones, those are normal. If you think that you are not doing things right, that's normal. You're trying your best. If you are scaring, it's normal. If you have resentment, it's also normal. Don't blame yourself that you should that you do something wrong. And don't think that you should be different. There is no perfect way of being a caregiver. And all the negative emotions that are happening, all the scary stuff, it's a normal for a human being to experience those in this abnormal situation. Yeah, that's very comforting for people to know that because I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty and they fear that the thoughts they're having are not not good. Yeah, because the most common thing that I hear from the caregivers they may not even identify themselves as caregivers, just like I'm taking care of my mom, mm -hmm. is I'm a horrible person because I don't want to do it. Please hear me. You are not a horrible person. It's normal for you not to want to do this because this is not what we are wired to do. And it's normal that you think that. And you are a good person because you're doing it and because you're still able to reflect and think and find the solutions. So do you have people that you train underneath you to help other people or are you just doing this all by yourself? No, I'm not training anyone yet. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still uh, uh, working on my own. I offer coaching calls and in different capacity i offer coaching calls like the regular format and i also recently i am playing with the idea of being a lifeline for my clients 
which means that a person can schedule 20 minutes call, 20 minute coaching calls with me whenever they need it. And I open like a, my calendar much wider for that. And I also have a podcast where I'm talking a lot of these things that going through the caregiver's mind and raise questions and explaining those things. And that's why I call that podcast Uncensored because I'm talking about things that people don't usually want to talk about. So the best way to find me would be on any of the podcasting platforms that you are using. Uh, the name of my podcast is The Uncensored Caregiver. And in the description of the episodes, podcast, everywhere, there is a ways of scheduling a call with me or getting in touch with me and share what you're experiencing or even request what you would like to learn about and hear about. Oh, and then about, what about like Facebook, Instagram, any of that? I'm on LinkedIn with my name, Irina Ishchenko. Uh Instagram, honestly, I just gave up on that. <laughs> I mean, you can find me there, but don't expect me to be there very active. Well, I'll have it all in the show notes too, but um, I think what you're doing is phenomenal and it's such a great message. And I'm so glad that you had the time to talk to me today about it. It's just, it's amazing. You're amazing. Irina, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story. I hope it's helpful to someone. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Somebody out there is going to benefit from it or know somebody that will. So I can't wait to air it, but um, I will definitely be in touch and you take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.